Proverbs chapter 4 this morning. Last week, if you were not able to be with us, we, were, we started a new series called Uncommon Sense, a wisdom series uh, based out of the book of Proverbs, uh, where we're talking about how to live life wisely. Next week, Lord willing, we'll begin to deal with some specific topics that Proverbs deals with. Um, last week, as we intro uh, the book in the series, we talked about the two major themes in Proverbs, mainly just one of them. Uh, two of the major themes you'll see is the personification in, of wisdom, and you'll see wisdom portrayed as a path. So last week we talked a lot about how wisdom is personified as lady wisdom in Proverbs, right? And how we need, it's trying to tell us we need to have a relationship with wisdom. We need to think about wisdom relationally. Like a person that you get to know and get to know better and better. And at the same time, wisdom is presented as, as a path metaphor. That we need to walk down the path of wisdom. And relationships and paths, these are both images of progression. You can get to know someone better and better. You can have a relationship that sours. Uh, you can walk, as you walk down a path, you're progressing, you're going towards a destination. And Proverbs wants us to understand, God wants us to understand in this book, that wisdom is a journey. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the, the wisdom journey, the journey of wisdom. Wisdom enables us to live life as God has designed it to be lived, so that we obey Him and apply His Word to difficult situations, become ultimately the people God wants us to be. So we're supposed to be a people journeying in wisdom, becoming wiser and wiser, learning more and more about how to apply God's truth to situations. And so this morning, we're going to dive into Proverbs 4. And here we have a picture of a father encouraging his son to get wisdom, to stay in the path or the way of wisdom, and to not detour from that path. And he has been instructed in how valuable wisdom is, and, and he kind of builds on that as you get to chapter 4 from the first three chapters. Now, we learned last week that wisdom begins with a right relationship with God. He says it begins with the fear of the Lord. But we also grow and we mature in wisdom as we journey along in life, or we should if we're walking with the Lord. Uh, you should be wiser today than you were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Uh, there's probably situations you look back on and think, man, if I had the wisdom I have now, when I walked through that situation, I would have made choices differently. Because wisdom is something we should progress in. So look with me in Proverbs chapters 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. So bear with me. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. 
They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Wisdom is a journey that we're on or should be on in the journey of life. And it's not just about making the wise choice. It's about continually making wise choices in light of what the wise thing to do is. Constantly living in light of our relationship with the Lord and His Word and walking in wisdom. Growing in wisdom and not diverting from the path of wisdom. Now we tend to want to graduate from things early. Right? We, we, you know, it says get wisdom. We say give it to me. Let me graduate from that. What box do I need to check? What do I need to do so that I can know that I can have that, right? But that's not the way wisdom works, right? I, I like microwave meals from time to time. From time to time, I like some, some bagel bites cooked on two minutes and 20 seconds to perfection. One little tray of them of nine makes a perfect lunch, right? But that is nowhere near as good as a slow-cooked meal in a smoker or a crock pot for that matter versus a microwave. Wisdom can't be microwave. It's not something that you just get overnight. It's something you grow in and something you mature in. And this father wants his son to see that wisdom is a lifelong commitment. It's a journey. Notice verse 13. Keep hold. Do not let go. Garter. Verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in their way. Avoid it. Verse 20. Be attentive. Incline your ear. Let them not escape. Keep them. Hold tight. Right? All these are conveying the idea that wisdom is about continuing in. Not just something you have, but something you better not depart from. Something you must hold on to. Remember, it's relational, and it's also a journey. So three things about this journey of wisdom that I want us to see this morning from this text. The first one I want you to see is I want to talk about the pursuit of wisdom. It, every journey begins with the, the initial beginning. It, it, we, we must begin to pursue it. If we're going to journey towards wisdom, then we need to pursue it. We have to begin the journey. We have to pursue wisdom. And this father's encouraging the son in the first several verses to pursue wisdom. That's the, he's saying this is a journey you need to begin. He says, get wisdom, get insight. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Now, we've been told the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We saw in chapter 2 it says, wisdom is a gift from God. So what does this mean? How can it be the beginning be the fear of the Lord and a gift from God, and at the same time, how can it be something he says you need to go get, and the beginning of it is that you get it? Well, on the one hand, he wants us to see the divine purpose of this is that it's connected to God. You must relate properly to God. That's where wisdom begins. But he also wants us to see there needs to be some human initiative and that you need to pursue wisdom. It's it's an active choice that you need to make. Something you need to go after. Yes, it's rooted in a relationship with God. But it's not for the lazy. It's not for the flippant. It's for those who pursue it, who want it, who desire it. He says, prize her. She will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. But you've got to prize her. You've got to embrace her. You've got to pursue Now the temptation is that we would pursue things other than wisdom. That we would get other things, but we wouldn't get wisdom. 
See, if you pursue the idols of your heart, like comfort, security, power, pleasure, that'll tell you to get happiness. Right? But what makes you happy in the moment might not be what is wise in the long run. He says, no, you need to get wisdom. We can pursue apathy. Just kind of not really care and engage. See, wisdom requires an active pursuit. Thinking about things. Thinking deeply about things. Praying about things. Making tough decisions, but making the decisions. Wisdom requires action. Let me ask you this morning, what prevents you from pursuing wisdom? Are you on the journey? Are you pursuing it? Are you chasing after it? Do you want to get it? The point is, it's supposed to be an active pursuit. But every journey has to have a beginning. Are we journeying towards wisdom? Now the second thing I want you to see is the path of wisdom. We need to pursue it, but we pursue it down a particular path. Wisdom is a path we walk in this journey towards this destination of becoming wise. I'll never forget the first time I went hiking. One of like two times that I went hiking. So it was the first time and the next to last time, right? Um, and we did like this 18-mile hike through a national forest in Alabama. And it was over a couple of nights. And, you know, I'd never did that. I'd never even slept in a tent before, right? I wasn't a Boy Scout growing up. I, I, I did other things, but I just did, that just wasn't my thing or whatever. And so I'm out there, and so I'm, I'm learning how to camp, and I'm learning how to hike. I'm learning all this stuff at once, and we had some people with us, and they know how to, to do this. And so here you go. You start this hike at 10 o'clock at night, and you've got your headlamp on. You've got 40 pounds of stuff on your back, and and you're like, how do I know where to go? Because there's all these different paths in this forest. And there's paths that go this way and this way. And some, if you take, they bring you in a circle back to where you started. Some are more difficult journeys with, with, more, with more elevation and things of that nature. Some are shorter. Some are longer. And you have to watch the markings on the path. Right? There's some, some of them, you know, you're, you're on the blue diamond path or whatever. And there's a tree ever so often when you get to a fork in the road. And blue path this way, right? Red path this way. And you have to follow the markings in a similar way. Wisdom is presented in the Bible like this path that we walk down. We must not deviate from. We must watch for the markings. Because we will have opportunities to turn down a different path. So we must constantly be coming back to God's Word and studying and praying and asking what is the wise thing to do. What characterizes folly? What characterizes wisdom? Notice this path metaphor throughout the chapter and notice how he describes the path. Three ways I want you to notice how he describes the path. First, it's a path of freedom. He says, when you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Listen, there are plenty of things and choices in life that can trip you up and hinder you and sidetrack you. In chapters 5 through 7, he, he warns about poor moral choices. Particularly, he, he, goes, he talks about immorality and adultery and how it can lead to destruction in your life. Throughout Proverbs, he warns against bad financial decisions. Greed. Warns against greed. He extols generosity. Proverbs gives counsel about debt and lending. How, think about how many lives have been ruined by greed. How many people are still having trouble in their lives because they never learned how to manage money wisely? How many bad financial decisions have left people in ruin? Do you know how many divorces are because of money? It's one of the top ten reasons people divorce. Diversions, stripping, stumbling, all because of a lack of wisdom in an area. How about this one? Relational conflict. Proverbs deals a lot about relational conflict and friendship and how to handle difficult situations. There are people that just don't deal well with people, right? 
broken relationships everywhere, bitterness and unforgiveness, constantly lying to people and gossiping about people and slandering people, blowing up in anger at people, saying foolish things at foolish times, saying things that just weren't the wise thing to say at that time. A life littered with broken relationships. Look back on your life at the times you got sideways. And you've all been side. We've all been sideways at some point in our life. We've all hit a wet spot and slid a little bit and got out of. Yep. How many times was it relational conflict? How many times was it because you opened your big mouth when you shouldn't have? How many times was it because you didn't speak out when somebody did that towards you about someone and you didn't shut it down right there? And then a blow up happens later. How many times was it because you exploded in anger on someone? Or someone exploded in anger on you and you reacted poorly in return. When we walk in wisdom, there's freedom. It's a clean path, right? That's another part of staying on the path when you hike. You want to stay on the path because it's clean. It's because people have tread across it and there's not vines and roots and rocks. Those things get tossed out so you don't trip, so you don't fall. But when you get off the path, that's where the danger lies. That's when you get bit by the snake or you turn your ankle on a rock. And in the same way, when we get off track from wisdom, man, it gets difficult. That's why we need to stay on the clean path of wisdom so we don't bring all this extra stuff into our lives, extra problems that we create for ourselves. The list could go on and on. And the point, though, is simple. If we walk in the path of wisdom versus the path of folly, we have freedom. It's also a path of clarity. He says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. He goes on to say, the path, before that, he says, the path of folly is dark. The path of the wicked is dark. They don't know what they even stumble over. Every year we do a sunrise service out here on Lake Baldwin, just a couple of blocks away. You get there first, it's dark. Can't really even see the lake. Kind of creepy. <laughs> What's out there? Never seen a gator out there. I did see an aggressive-looking otter one time. But then the sun starts to come up, right? Slowly, and it gets a little more daylight, a little more daylight, a little more daylight, and then boom, full day. And he compares walking the path of wisdom like that. It's clarifying. It's, there's a progressive aspect to it as you grow in wisdom, and you begin to see things more clearly. How many times have you been in a situation and not know what to do? Sure we have. We all have. Wisdom, wisdom doesn't promise that you'll never be in those situations, but it does mean... We can see more clearly in all situations. I can see many situations and potential pitfalls much more clearly now than I could 20 years ago. How about you? Or 10 years ago even. If you walk with Jesus in wisdom, you'll grow in wisdom and your path will get more clear and you'll have more clarity. A lot of times we, people wrestle about you know, the will of God. What, how do I know what God wants me to do? Does God want me to sell my house? Does God want me to move here? Does God want me to take this job? Does God want me to go to college here? Does God want me to marry this person? And, man, we get, and the Bible speaks less to that and it speaks more to walk in wisdom. That's where the will of God is found. On the path of wisdom. That's where clarity is. You walk in wisdom, you will marry the right person. You walk in wisdom, you will make the right decision. Walk in wisdom. Apply God's truth. And run freely. It's a path of security that you can walk on with confidence. He says, ponder the path of your feet and your ways will be sure, he says at the end of the chapter. The reason your ways will be sure is because you're pondering, you're thinking, you're making sure, you're keeping your feet in wisdom's path. Who doesn't want to live with peace and confidence? 
We all want to live with peace and confidence. So many people live timidly, afraid of every decision, fearing the consequences, thinking everything, everything's uncertain and everything's just bound up in fear. And while we can't know what tomorrow holds, we can trust the person who holds tomorrow, especially when we walk in wisdom that He gives for all situations. We can make decisions with confidence, trusting Him with the results. See, we're supposed to be on this journey. We're supposed to be pursuing wisdom. We're supposed to be chasing after wisdom. And, it's a, and it's, the path is a path of blessing. It's going to be better for you when you walk wisely than if you don't walk wisely. But to understand all that, and to pursue that path, and to continue in that journey, and to not stray from that journey, we have to understand the key to really, I think, the whole passage. Much like understanding the relational component last week, this week we need to understand that wisdom is a heart issue. That's number three, the fountain of wisdom. In verse 23, he says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Back up in verse 4, he said, Let your heart hold fast my words. Everything you do in life, he's saying, flows from the heart. In verse 21, he says, Keep them within your heart, my teachings within your heart. Three times in Proverbs. More times than that in verses in chapters 2 through 4 where he specifically addresses the heart and says hold this in your heart, treasure this in your heart, and guard your heart because wisdom is a heart issue. It's not simply about behavior modification and moral conformity. It's not just about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and saying I'm going to do the wise thing this time. And then we go out and we do something foolish again. Right? We go from this side and we turn the car this way and we go directly this way. He says, no, 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 it's, it's not about simply behavior modification or conforming morally. It's a heart issue. If it's not from the heart, at some point the house of cards falls down. You're exposed for not being wise. The heart here refers to the inner person. It's the seat of your whole personality. It's the place where your character emanates from. It's that part of you that the Father says you should store wisdom there. It's that part, he says, that you should hold fast his words. The inner man, who you really are. Where your character comes from, your attitudes come from, the part of you that thinks and dreams and wills, that part of you, your heart. Notice how he described the wicked in verse 16. He says, they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. In other words, their wickedness is a heart issue. It's about desires. He said, man, they're, like, they're laying in bed at night thinking about evil things. Because see, what you think about in the quiet moments, where your mind and where your heart goes and the things you dream about, the things you plot, reveal things about you. Reveals our hearts. Reveals our heart condition. So if you want to walk in wisdom and enjoy the blessedness of its path, the most important thing you must do is guard your heart. Keeping or guarding your heart is about protecting it. That's the place wisdom is supposed to be stored. So you have to protect it and guard and keep an eye on it. And he says you should do that with all vigilance. Some translations say, above all else, guard your heart. Wayne Grudem says it could be literally is translated, guard your heart with all guarding. Like we guard a lot of things, right? At night when we go to bed, we lock our door. Probably when you came in this morning, you locked your car before you came in. When my kids are with me and we're crossing the street, I'm holding hands. Right? We guard, we protect things that are important. He says, if you're going to protect anything, protect your heart. Because everything else comes from there. Guard it with all guarding. Guard it with all vigilance. Be alert, be ready, be awake. Protect your heart. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. 
It's the wellspring of life. It's the fountain of life. Everything you do in life, all your actions, all your words, are determined by the condition of your heart at that time, including whether or not you walk in wisdom. So if your heart is wise, your life will be wise. If you do foolish things, it's because your heart has foolishness bound up in it. When we do sinful things, it's because there's sin in our heart. The heart never fails to reveal itself, and what you do never fails to reveal your heart. It's a perfect line. Man, you can just draw it. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to have a, a, a new heart. Why do I keep doing foolish, sinful things? Because you don't have a perfect heart. You might have a new heart, but you don't have a perfect heart. You won't get that till glory. Think about these passages. Deuteronomy 6.5. Matthew, excuse me, Mark 12.30. Old Testament, New Testament tells us what is the greatest commandment. Right? Jesus was asked this in Mark 12.30. What is the greatest commandment? He quoted from Deuteronomy 6.5, from the Shema. He says, to love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. All your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. But love the Lord your God with all your heart. God is after your heart. Above all else, the greatest commandment, he says, love me with all of your heart. Proverbs 3.5 teaches we are to trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our understanding. 1 Samuel 16.17 tells us that God, while man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. And then in Matthew 15.16-20, Jesus teaches that it's what comes from your heart that defiles you. That our sin and our corruption and the evil and the bad things we do, they they come from the heart. Sin comes from within. And all throughout the Bible, there's an emphasis placed on the heart because it's the wellspring of life. It's from where you, whether you love God or not, determines your generosity or greed, whether you love or hate, how you treat others, what comes out of your mouth, all stems from the heart. You more than likely have a water filter of some type at your house, on your fridge or um, on your sink. You probably don't just drink it straight out of the tap. You might. It doesn't taste real good at my house when we drink it that way. We filter it. But if I drink unfiltered water, I go, oh, that doesn't taste quite right. The first time, I might go, well, maybe it's the cup. But if I go through four or five cups, I should wise up and realize, no, it's, it's from the source. The problem is not the cup. The problem is the water that's coming out. It's, it's, I've got to get to the source. And in the same way, as we look at our lives, we have to be willing to deal with the source of the issue. And he's saying the source of the issue is the heart. We mentioned at the beginning of the service this weekend what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. And it's a perfect illustration. I saw a lot of the pictures of a lot of young white men about my age, give or take 10 years, with torches lit, marching in the name of hate and racism, espousing bigoted views of white nationalism and supremacy and Nazism. I think about people of color, black and brown brothers and sisters, people of other nationalities. I think, what do they, they think and they feel when they see that? I think about World War II veterans who fought against Nazis and then they see that flag being walked through our nation with pride and it makes me want to puke. They think, I think, what do, they, what do they think when they see that? But then we think, how does somebody do that? Like, how does somebody have that much hatred bound up that they would actually go out and do something like that? How does somebody take a vehicle and plow it into people and hurt and kill people all over views and all over race? How, how, how does someone 
do that? You might ask, what makes them do that? And the Bible's very clear. The heart. It's the heart. It flows from the heart. Everything does, including the wicked acts we saw this weekend. Including the wicked acts in our own lives. Let me ask you, what flows from your heart? Maybe it's not racism. Maybe it's something else. But all sin is a heart issue. And so is wisdom. And the Bible teaches every single person needs a new heart. That's the promise of the new covenant in the Bible. Is that God would take out your hard, stony heart, your sinful heart, and give you a brand new heart. The good news of the Bible is that while we are sinful people with sinful hearts, corrupt hearts that are hard, hardened to God and corrupted by sin, that God sent Jesus who perfectly walked in the path of wisdom, who perfectly walked in the path of righteousness, who made all the wise choices that we don't always make, who made all the sinless choices and the right choices and the righteous choices that we can't make perfectly. He walked and was completely sinless. And the Bible teaches that He was crucified. That he was crucified, but that in his crucifixion, the sinless son of God, God in the flesh, bore our sins in his body. Took the punishment, took the wrath from God that we deserve for our sin. Took the hell we deserve for our sin. And that three days later, he rose from death in victory over all sins and over death and over hell. Showing that when he said it is finished, he didn't mean kind of, sort of. He really meant it is finished. And God says, check didn't bounce. It's finished. And the Bible promises that if we repent of our sin, turn from it, and embrace Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, who bled and died for us and rose again, and put our faith and trust in him, he'll give us a new heart. He'll change us from the inside out. It'll no longer be about moral conformity and just doing your best and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. Your desires will begin to change. You'll no longer be plotting sin in your heart, but plotting righteousness. You'll no longer be thinking about, what can I do here to get away with this, but thinking, how can I do this to bless this person? How can I serve God? The meditations of your heart will change. You change from the inside out. That's the promise of the gospel. That God saves sinners, immoral people, murderers, racists, self-righteous Pharisees. He saves them. And He gives them a new heart. And that's our only hope. But Christian, you need to guard your heart. As I said earlier, it's not perfected. You still have the potential to sin from your heart. You still have the potential to stray in your heart. We got to guard it in the way of wisdom. I heard one pastor, uh, saw one pastor uh, illustrated it with a dashboard. Like when you, if you're going to guard your heart, it's like when you get in your car, you've got your dash and you've got, you look up in the console there and you've got your gas gauge and your oil gauge and you've got your gauge that tells you whether you're running hot or not and how fast you're going, how many RPMs your motor's running, all these different gauges, right? And when something starts to go wrong, you can see it on the gauge. Your car's running hot, the gauge is working right, oh, there it is. Oh, you're, you're running out of gas, the light comes on. Oh, you, something wrong with the oil, light comes on. And in the same way, we need to have like a, a spiritual dashboard in front of us that, tells, that helps us monitor and guard and protect our heart. And the Bible's very clear. We have gauges. What's coming out of our mouth? Anger, gossip, slander, corrupt talk. Or what is edifying and wholesome? That's a gauge to our heart. So we can watch that gauge. Light goes off. 
heart problem? What's my attitude like towards God and towards others? Is it one of humility and love and service? Or pride and arrogance? Am I cold towards the things of God? Am I growing in generosity or becoming more greedy? All these are things that Jesus said are direct lines to our heart. Gauges on which we can look to monitor what's going on. All these things flow from the heart. And if you want to check your heart condition, check your vitals. Check what it's producing. And if you want to know if you are wise at heart, see if you're wise in words and behavior and in character and in relationships because it all flows from your heart. And the main idea here is to protect your heart and make sure it stays in the way of wisdom. And one of the keyest ways we do that, according to this proverb, is by staying humble and teachable. Because throughout the proverb, he says what? Soak my teaching into your heart. Let it in your heart. Bide by it in your heart. Hold on to it. Listen, he's saying. Be attentive. Incline your ear. Let these words soak into your heart. The primary way we know if we're teachable is by whether or not we heed God's word. Because if you don't listen to God, you're not going to listen to anybody else. And the primary way we guard our heart is by submitting to the word of God. In fact, in Proverbs 4, at times he uses words like precepts and commandments. The Father does. And it hearkens to the Torah. It hearkens to God's commandments. And if we want to guard our heart, the first way we do that, the first way we put our faith in Jesus, but after that is we submit ourselves to his word and we let his word wash over our heart. Because if we're not teachable before the Lord, our heart will drift. So you have to ask yourself questions like, am I quick to make excuses for why Scripture doesn't apply to me in situations? Instead of heeding the Scriptures. Do I avoid the Scriptures because I know that I'm living in a way that's contrary to them? That's why some people, they, they only want to quote from the Sermon on the Mount. They don't want to go to other places. Not realizing... They're not doing well by the Sermon on the Mount either. They have their favorite portion, right? Their favorite psalm, their favorite proverb, their favorite 1 Corinthians 13, and it's like all the scripture they know and live. Because they're not really teachable. Because if we're teachable, we realize there's one book and it's made up of 66 books, and all, there's a way to interpret and apply it all so that we walk in the way of wisdom. In verse 24, he talks about speech, and he talks about crooked speech and devious talk, lies and gossip and slander and unwholesome talk. All that kind of flows out of that. He's saying it all flows from the heart. Jesus taught that our mouth speaks from the overflow of our heart. And if you want to guard your heart, you have to start by watching your mouth. It's a heart indicator, like the oil in your car, checking the oil in your car. He's also maybe pointing to the, the, not only what's coming out of your mouth, but who you associate with in their mouths. He doesn't really distinguish between whether to keep yourself from this from your mouth or from others that have it coming out of their mouth. In other words, let me make a point. If you hang around gossiping, lying slanderers all the time, and you sit around and let them gossip and lie and slander to you, it's a great way to become a gossip, lying slanderer. So you have to guard your heart. He talks about your eyes being focused straight ahead, pondering the path of your feet, not swerving from the path. He's saying you need to commit to the path of wisdom and not be distracted. These are all heart-wrought things. Your eyes staying focused ahead. That's about focus. That's a heart decision. Pondering your steps is about being mindful. That's a heart situation. Not swerving to the right or left. Turning your foot from evil is about your desires. Not desiring to walk in wickedness but in righteousness. These are all heart situations. And the bottom line is, is that wisdom is a journey. You don't arrive overnight. So yeah, you've got to pursue it. 
And you've got to stay on the path, but the key to all that is understanding that we have to guard and protect and monitor our heart because wisdom is primarily a heart issue and not simply a behavior modification issue. You need to be wise of heart if you want to avoid a foolish life. So keep watch on your dashboard. How's your attitude? Your mouth? Your love for God, your love for others. What are you passionate about? What stirs you emotionally? What's making you angry? That's the gauge. Guard your heart. Get the Word of God into your heart. Pour your heart out to God in prayer. Trust God with all your heart. This is how we guard our heart. Walk humbly with God from the heart. Avoiding pride by allowing the Word to humble us. Avoiding selfishness by being made more like Christ. Rooting out the sins of the heart that destroy us. If you want to be wise, it's a journey. It's a journey that we must begin. We must stay on the path, but we must guard our heart. Maybe today, you need a new heart. Maybe today, you realize that you've never been changed from the inside out. Maybe you've tried to be a good person. Maybe you've tried to be righteous. Maybe you've tried to do the right thing. But maybe there's never been a time where on the inside, you became a new person because Jesus took over your house. And He came in and you repented. You believed the gospel of Jesus and He came in and He began to change you from the inside out. Has that happened to you? Do you need a new heart? And if you're a believer today, are you guarding it? That's what's going to determine whether you walk in wisdom or not. Because see, when we get weeds in the yard, you go out here and you look, if we have any weeds that spring up around the bushes, or the, you can't just go pulling those things out. That'll spring right back up. You've got to get down and get the root, or you've got to get something that'll kill it at the root. And it's real easy to look at our lives and just say, well, I just need to stop doing this and start doing this. First thing you need to do is examine your heart. Pour your heart out before God in confession and repentance. And ask God to change your heart. Allow the Word of God to fill your heart. Allow the Spirit of God to begin to work and mold your heart. That's how we keep the weeds from growing in the first place. So what's coming out of your heart this morning? Is it the way of wisdom? Or is it folly and foolishness? There's hope for all of us because the Bible continues to call us back to the path. To repent, believe the good news, and to walk in God's way. Let's pray.